memorable stories. Some of the most memorable stories recorded for us in Scripture, narrating Jesus' encounters with people, were at a table. How about Matthew 26, verse 7, is going to pop up on the screen here. One more. Next one in. Next one in. I know I'm moving. Got ground to cover. There it is. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant, fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Time and time again, we see Jesus going to tables where others said he shouldn't go, but we also see him inviting people to his table that was a great source of consternation to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. How about in Luke eleven thirty seven? if you're a note taker, these notes are always online. We see him, that he was invited to go to the table of his enemy, and he went. In John 12, 2, we find the incredible story of a woman coming and anointing his feet and then wiping his feet with her hair again at a table. Some of the most memorable stories. Not just memorable stories, but also hopeful promises. Some of the most hopeful promises recorded for us in Scripture, declaring God's provision for us, uses the imagery of a table. I love this one here in Proverbs 9.2. It reads this way. She has prepared a great banquet mixed with wines and set the table. Who is the she in this chapter in Proverbs? It's wisdom. Here, here in, in Proverbs, we're told that, that wisdom invites us to a table. Now, we can't talk about tables and promises, right, and not talk about Psalm 23. I know that's the one you thought was coming, but you already know that one. Right? But, there, but there's so many, so many that talk about the promise of God's provision. Psalm 23, 5 talks about how he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Memorable stories, hopeful promises, urgent warnings. See, tables are also used to give us caution, to give us caution. Urgent warnings recorded for us in Scripture, cautioning us about the allure of sin also uses the imagery of a table. Here in Psalm 69, 22, we find this. Let the bountiful table set before them become a snare and their prosperity become a trap. God uses this picture and this imagery of a table to teach us something about ourselves. In 2 Chronicles 9, 3-4, we're, we're told that the Queen of Sheba, when she came to visit King Solomon, she was enamored by the table that was set and everything that was there. Now, part of that is talking about the prosperity of Israel at a time and the success of Solomon in a season of his life, but it's also because we know the rest of the story is giving us a warning about how all of those material things became his downfall, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In 1 Kings 18, 19, again, we see that when Elijah is receiving a message from God that he's supposed to challenge the false prophets of his day to a great contest, he invites the prophets of Baal and it describes them as the false prophets who were fed at Jezebel's table. 
This imagery of a table means many things for many things for us, but one is most certainly God teaching us about human nature. You see, our very nature longs for affirmation. We long for acceptance, and we will seek it out anywhere that we could find it. So let's make sure that the people in the 757 can find it here at our table. See, this idea of the need for affirmation and acceptance, it's not because we're broken, although we are broken. It's not because we're weak, although we most certainly are weak. It's not because we're needy, although we most certainly are at times needy. This, this desire that we have for affirmation and acceptance, this hunger and longing inside of us, it's by God's design. It's part of our imago Dei. We, we long for community with others. Anybody that works in law enforcement in gang units will tell you there is a reason why these young people flock to these destructive environments not usually because they're seeking destruction. It's because that there is a need for affirmation and acceptance that's not being satisfied in their life in a healthy way, so they will find it where they can. And that's true for many people in many different walks of life. The, the church is supposed to understand that we have a responsibility to provide a table for people to come so they can find the acceptance and the affirmation that they're longing to seek. Every person, no matter how old or young, wealthy or under-resourced, introvert or extrovert, me and Vanessa, every Enneagram and Myers-Briggs description, those who pull into Krispy Kreme for the hot sign and those who don't, right? every person is looking for a seat at a table. Every person. It, it transcends personality type. It transcends time. Going back to the beginning of time and then until Jesus comes back until the end of time, people are going to be the same. We want affirmation and acceptance. It's part of human nature. But my ask to you tonight, right, if you call this your church home, is that you're going to keep helping me to build a different kind of church, a Jesus-centered community, a church family that says to the world, no matter who you are, there is a seat for you at our table. Right? That, that I'm asking you to keep helping me to build this kind of church that says to people, there is a seat for you at our table. And that, that might make some of you nervous. And I would say to that, good. I like you nervous. Because right? when we're nervous, it usually means that something inside of us is being challenged. We have to make sure that we do not conflate, listen to me, the inclusivity of the invitation with the exclusivity of the Christian life. Those are two very different things. And Jesus models that for us. His invitation was always inclusive. Now, once he built a relationship with people, once he started having conversations with people, did he oftentimes challenge people to change? Yes. But we can't start with the exclusion. We've got to start with the inclusion. The invitation of Christ was always inclusive. He was always sitting down at tables he wasn't supposed to sit down at. He was always inviting people to sit down with him that a religious person should not be sitting down to have a conversation with. The, the Christian invitation is completely inclusive. The Christian life 
Is it exclusive? Yes. The Bible is many things to us, but can we agree? Can we agree that it is God's love letter to us that at the end of the, of the day simply says, stop doing these things, start doing those things. Stop, stop doing these things, start doing those things. And then in his genius, in his sovereignty, he didn't just give us a list like an owner's manual. He tells us all the things to stop doing and start doing through stories of history and through people's lives, giving us the opportunity to watch them lived out so we could learn those lessons from them. He gives it to us in song and poetry and proverb and personal letters exchanged between friends and from pastors to churches. From prophetic revelation, he embeds in all of that the exclusive nature of the experience of Christian life, the starting and the stopping, but it always begins with an inclusive invitation that says anyone who wants to come and sit at the table, there's a place for you here. That's the kind of church that we want to build here at City Life Church. Can I just tell you, too, that part of this idea of building a table that says to people, there's a seat for you here, sometimes has nothing to do with inclusivity and exclusivity, has nothing to do with starting and stopping and sin and righteousness. Sometimes it just has to do with making people who feel like maybe they're on the outside, letting them know, even still, if you don't see yourself in this room, you come and be that person for someone else. Maybe you have not noticed, but this past year we started doing something differently that we're going to start doing every year. January is bringing recognition to human trafficking prevention. February is Black History Month. March is Women's History Month. April is Autism Awareness Month. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. June is Juneteenth, June 19th. If you don't know what that is, stick around. You're going to learn that here at City Life Church. Come on. September is Hispanic Heritage Month. October is the National Indigenous Peoples Day. November is Veterans Day. It's also the November 1st is the Persecuted Church Day. December is Mental Health Awareness Month. We're bringing emphasis to each of these every month for a reason, not because we're trying to be trendy, not because we're trying to be politically correct. Not, not because we're, 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 we're trying to be hip. We do these things because we want people who walk into this room or maybe watching online. When they see us talk about maybe their circumstance and their situation, it's our way of saying to them, there's a place for you at this table. The lament that you have, the story you're walking out, the unique needs that you carry, the point of view that you represent, there's a seat for you at our table. We're going to show this video in just a second about Black History Month. We're not showing it at the end of the month because we're trying to squeeze it in before the month passes, right? We're showing it here instead of the beginning of the month because I'm like, no, 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 we're doubling down on it. We're showing it at the end of the month because I want to be a part of this message because I want people to understand why we do it. We want to say to people, we see you, and there's a place for you at our table. Let's watch together.
the black church in America begins on an East Coast ocean dock. Dark skin, derided. A daddy and his children divided. Right there, on an auction block. The black church in America begins in a field beneath the sun. Shackled sons and daughters hearing about the father's love. The black church in America forced to toil and till the sod while the same ones holding the whip told them to put your faith in God. And by grace alone, they did. it in a song and in the melody of the Negro spirituals they found the faith to carry on to flourish to fight to exist to exhort the faith to follow Harriet running rivers to the north a faith that echoed Augustine and those great African theologians from a thousand years before on the other side of the ocean the faith to be free in Christ, even when your country denies you liberty. The faith to never give up, never give up your human dignity. It was the faith for Frederick Douglass to hop a train and escape to freedom, and then proclaim the will of God in the presence of President Lincoln. It was a faith to war and wait for emancipation proclamation. A faith that made Juneteenth the most holy celebration. It's the faith to begin again with Jesus at the center. It's a faith to start the black church because no other church would even let you enter. It's the preaching of Lemuel Haynes, a first of its kind in this nation. It's Francis Grimke and Gardner Taylor resisting segregation. It's a praise song from brown-bodied lips, both layman and ecclesiastic. It's the anthem of all the mamas when Emmett Till was in the casket. It's Mahalia Jackson singing, Precious Lord, take my hand. It's blood on Edmund Pettus Bridge and all across this land. It's a faith that God can surely redeem what's happened in the past. It's the faith of Martin Luther King. I'm free. I'm free at last. The faith of C.T. Vivian, Joseph Lowry, Rosa Parks, those beautiful black lights of Jesus shining in the dark. To God be the glory, the sole future of our faith. The foundation of Tony Evans and the fire of T.D. Jakes. The song of the Clark sisters, Andre Crouch, Donnie McClurkin, B.B., C.C., Yolanda, and G.P. Are you with me, Kirk Franklin? It's the legacies of John M. Perkins, Crawford Loritz, and the soul's desire of Dr. Darius Daniels, Lisa Fields, Priscilla Shire. It's a history of resilience, revival, reconciliation. It's the Holy Spirit raising up a future generation who will carry this thing. The church of Jesus is stronger, more beautiful, bold, and diverse because of the lasting, living legacy, the faith of the black church.
Come on, you're going to clap for that. When you think about this church, I hope you think about a lot of things. But one of the things I hope you hear in your own head and in your own heart, that you, you would say this to yourself, there's a place for me at their table. Not just for me, but there's a place for my story. There's a place for me, but there's a place, there's room for my story. Room for my story. Let's talk about seating the table. Not setting the table. Let's talk about seating the table. This, this, this first placard right here, I'm calling this the not yets. Now, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you might call this seat maybe for those who are lost or for those who are unsaved. There's a lot of church language, right, that just maybe carries a little bit of a negative connotation to it. I'm drifting to this. I'm calling it the not yets. The not yets. Because in John 6, Jesus tells us that no one can come to him unless the Father who sent him draws them. Which means that there is a point in time where people have not yet come to Jesus. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, we're, we're, we're told that no one can call Jesus Lord but by the power of the Holy Spirit, which means that there is a point in time where people have not yet called him Lord. In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter writes in his epistle that it's God's desire that none should perish, which means that at some point we all are perishing because we're still in this seat of what I'm calling a not yet. God is at work bringing every person to the revelation that they need the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. Every person. The biggest mistake, this is important, that we can make as people who sit at this table, the biggest mistake for the person who's going to be sitting in this chair is to give too much attention to where they were before they sat down, who they are as they're seated, and where they're going to be likely going when they get up. That's our biggest mistake. I've been guilty of it. If you've been around church for any amount of time, come on, you know you've been guilty of it too. Think about the people that Jesus invited to his table. He said to them, you, you come and you sit down with me. Are there changes that all of us need to make? Sure, but aren't you glad that Jesus didn't start with you there? He doesn't want us to start there with others either. It's, it's interesting. We love this idea. When Jesus says that no one can come to the Father unless he who sent me draws him, because all of us at some point, if we've made a vow of devotion to Christ, we remember the, the, the power of the experience, the, 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 the time in our life where God was drawing us to Jesus. But if your story is like my story, and I trust that it is, a big part of that drawing was through other people. He, he draws us to Jesus oftentimes through others, through their grace, through their unconditional love, through their mercy. Would, would, would you be willing to be the kind of person that is a draw and not a deterrent for the person who's the not yet? I think sometimes we rush too quickly into the place of wanting to give instruction to people. We've got to earn the right to be heard. 
We've got to earn the right to be heard. In fact, I would argue that the difference between them being willing to invite us into their life to begin to bring about change is a direct reflection of the kind of invitation they received from us when it was time to sit at the table. The not yet's. Well, there's some more seats at this table. We're calling this one the family. Because at some point we are drawn. At some point the Holy Spirit enables us to see who Jesus is and our desperate need for his forgiveness. And we make a vow of devotion to Jesus. We move out of this chair into this chair. And now we become a part of the family. See, In this verse here in John 1.12 reads this way. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, speaking of Jesus, he gave the right to become the children of God. We're born into the family. 1 Corinthians 3.2, Paul talks about this idea of the difference between milk and meat. We've got to be careful that we don't choke people before they're ready to chew. This idea of when you're born into the family, you begin the lifelong journey of becoming like Jesus. And becoming like Jesus is hard. right? We, you understand what we're saying. We move out of an inclusive seat into an, ex, into an exclusive experience. It's a difficult shift. The Holy Spirit begins to bring conviction to our lives about things we've got to stop doing and things we've got to start doing. And, that, and that's the journey of Christianity for the rest of our days. It's not easy. Becoming like Christ. Hebrews 6, 1 through 3, the writer talks about the fundamentals of Christianity, which means two things for us. One is we've got to make sure that people understand the fundamentals, but the writer of Hebrews also says we just can't live in the fundamentals. We've got to be willing to get to the deeper things. Stephanie Eliason's going to come and bring another chair up here because if we're honest, when you move from this chair to this place setting, you don't get to come to this kind of chair right away. We go to this kind of chair. Now, if you've had littles in your life, you know that mealtime, when you stop using the bottle and come to the table, that this really represents a mess. Right? There's the plastic sheet that goes on the floor, right? Anybody familiar with this? Right? When, 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 we go, when, when our children go from our lap in a bottle to the table, we understand there's, there's a time and a season when things are messy. More ends up on the floor than it is in their mouth, but that's okay. We don't expect our children to go from not eating to sitting here and holding a spoon and a fork and sitting in a grown-up chair. Can we agree that as a church, there's got to be patience with people? There's got to be a willing. We've got to stop making people feel bad because they don't know which fork goes with the salad and which one goes with the main course. And some of you are kidding. I don't even know what that analogy means to begin with, Fred. Right? That's my point Exactly. Is that people are gracious with us oftentimes in societal settings and social norms. Can we not bring that kind of grace into Christian living? Being patient. The biggest mistake that we can make is to get frustrated. Is to get frustrated. 
And in our frustration as we communicate rejection, it causes people to get up from the table. Will we be as patient with people as Jesus always is with us? Come on, I got another place setting for you. I like this one. If you want your table to look like this at home, you can hire Vanessa. She charges by the hour. This, this place setting here is called the Mothers and the Fathers of the Faith. The Mothers and the Fathers of the Faith. Listen, you don't have to be old like me to be a mother and a father in the faith. You don't. Can I just, can I just tell you? That, that, that Daniel and Stephanie Eliason came to their first all-church leadership meeting just this past Thursday. I know, they're not old like me. Yeah. I got, a, I got a Starbucks gift card right here for them. That's a little inside joke with me and Daniel. If you were at base camp this morning, you know why that's funny. If you don't, you should come to base camp next month, and then you'll be there. You, you, don't, you don't have to be old to be a mother and a father in the faith. You just have to understand you can't sit at this place setting your whole life. Even when you're ready to get out of that chair and to come into this chair, you're not supposed to stay at this seat your whole life as a devoted follower of Christ. At some point, you're supposed to be a mother and father of the faith. 1 Thessalonians 2.11 reads this way, and you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. What's Paul saying there? Paul's saying is he was willing, and the people that were with him, were, who were also mothers and fathers of the faith, were willing to take on this sense of responsibility, not just for themselves, but to carry the weight of responsibility for others. 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul talks about in some cases we, we become the very first mother and father in the faith for someone like he was for Timothy. Listen, God is at work bringing every person at the table into a season of life where they long for hosting more than they enjoy attending. Where they long for hosting more than they enjoy attending. The biggest mistake that we can make, people, when it comes to moving from the family to mothers and fathers of the faith, listen to this, the biggest mistake we can make is to become complicit in people's eventual disillusionment with life at the table. Let me read that again. The biggest mistake we can make is to become complicit in people's eventual disillusionment with life at the the table. You and I were not made by God to just receive our whole life. At some point, there is a pivot. Do we stop receiving? Heck no. If you've ever hosted a family dinner, Thanksgiving, Christmas, at some point, even the people that are hosting the dinner, guess what they do? They, yes, Jamal, they eat that turkey. Come on. They sit down at the table. They eat from this table. 
They're nourished by this table. They enjoy that table. But they sit at that table with a completely different perspective than anyone else. They will go to bed that night more tired than anybody else who sat at that table. But they will also go to bed that night more fulfilled than anybody at that table. There is a joy that comes inside of us when we begin to take on the responsibilities that come with creating this table for other people. I think one of the reasons why people drift away from church is they're not really drifting away from church. They think that they are. They're really just drifting away from this seat because they weren't made to sit at the seat forever. And no one was courageous enough to challenge them to get into a different chair, to get into a different chair. Every seat, no matter which seat you're in, you might say there's a fourth chair. I know I haven't gotten to that yet. Give me, give me a sec. All of these seats that are here, all of these seats, they all bear the responsibility in some measure for the work of the table, for the cost of the table, and for the hospitality of the table. Even people that are in the seat of the not yet, there's something inside of them that wants to help. It, you, you, you know this is true too, because if you invite people over, if you're having a group of people over to your house to eat, hopefully, for some people are like, dang, I didn't know I was supposed to say that, right? But when you get an invitation to someone's house, one of the things that you should say in there in the middle is, what can I bring? Some of you should be taking notes right now. What should I bring? Some of you are sending text. The last time you invited me over, I'd like to say I'm sorry for not asking. Even it's the, the host might say nothing, but you got to start with at least this. Right? It's expressing a willingness to bring. And even if they say no, bring something. Bring flowers for the hostess. Bring cigars for the husband of the hostess. Willie's right over in Tech Center. I can send you the address. Right? You, you, there's something inside of you that says, I want to share in the cost of the table. Right? There's a cost to this table. If, if you call City Life Church your home, no matter what seat you're sitting in, share in the cost of the table. Find on our website where you can give. If you believe in the biblical principle of tithing, you should be doing it here. If you don't believe in the biblical principle of tithing, I'm okay with that. Then you're backed right up into the biblical principle of sacrificial giving. It's just as impactful. Because both tell us if our standard of living is not altered by the giving that we do in the church that we call home, we've not yet gotten far enough. That's part of the exclusivity of the Christian life. It's part of the stop doing and the start doing. It's part of sharing in the cost of the table. We share in the work of the table. Right? There should be something inside of you that says, how can I help? Some of you are sending more apologies even now, right now, to other people whose house you've been at for dinner. Right? If you're at someone's house for dinner and dinner's over, do not just get up and go into the other room and watch television. I, when Vanessa, I, I was laughing so hard this week. Vanessa and I were first married. I grew up in a home that, that had very, very, very specific gender role type differentiations. Vanessa's over there laughing. 
So soon, 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 soon after we were married is one of the very first times in, the, in our house when we, in, in the inner city where we were, were living that uh, we, we made dinner, right, together, and we were sitting there, and we ate. It was just the two of us. We, we didn't have kids back then, and, 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 uh, and, and we're, we're sitting there, and when dinner was over, I literally got it from the table and went in the other room and sat down and turned on the television. Yeah, I didn't know any better. But you're not going to make the same mistake because you're going to know better. And I can still remember the look on Vanessa's face as she stood in the doorway and said, what are you doing? And I did not know what I was doing, right? I was an innocent, guilty person all at the same time. But she proceeded to instruct me regarding what I was doing, right? There, there was, there, I just, I didn't know any better. I should have known. We shouldn't do it at home. We certainly shouldn't do it in the church. It, it, we, we share in the cost of the table. We share in the, in, the, in, the, in the work of the table. How can I help? If you call this your church home, that means something very specific here. Once a month, you serve in a ministry that makes church happen for other people. If you call this your church home, without exception, once a month, that's just 12 times a year. We, we meet for church 52 times in a year. You might not meet for church 52 times in a year, but we meet for church 52 times in a year. And we, we say, once, just once a month, once a month, how can I help? What can I bring? Everybody is responsible for the hospitality of this table. No matter which seat you're sitting in. No matter what seat you're sitting in. The countenance on our face the greeting that comes, moving out of your seat, even if you are a desperate introvert like myself. My pain of being an introvert should be less important than someone else's pain of not feeling welcomed. You tracking with me? We have a simple question that we teach you to ask here is, how long? Hi, my name is Fred. How long have you been coming here? Don't say, is this your first time or are you new here? Because it could be that they've been here for 15 years, right? Just, just, just say, how, how long have you been coming? And let the conversation find its way forward. This last seat, he, he is good, is he not? Oh, that's good. Here, I'm going to give Daniel another gift card. I've, I've got him in the bag. This is my friend. Stealth back there. This is not my seat. Churches make this mistake. The pastor is not the head of the table. There's no elder that's the head of the table. We stop right here, people. This is it. There's just, there's just three places at the table of the church. The not yet's, the family of God, and the mothers and the fathers of the faith. This seat right here, this is for Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the head of the table. And all of these things that we've been talking about tonight, he did it all for us. He demonstrated how to do it for us he didn't sit up in the heavens and command us for how to seat the table, 
set the table, build the table. He did it all for us to watch with his own life. And it is at a table that Christianity was birthed. How great is that? Matthew 26, verse 20 says, When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. Jumping down to 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. Verse 27 says, And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink it. Verse 28 says, For this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. There is forgiveness that's waiting for people that we all desperately need to know. And they will only ever find it at the seat, at a table with Jesus. Are you a draw or are you a deterrent? Stand with me. So I'm going to say it again. Every person, no matter how old or young, wealthy or under-resourced, introvert or extrovert, every Enneagram and Myers-Briggs description, those who pull into Krispy Kreme for the hot sign, those who don't, and that list keeps going Every single person is looking for a seat at a table. So I'm asking you again this question. Will you help me to keep building a church here at 311 Selden Road so Jesus is easy to find in our city? Saying to people, as long as we have breath, there is a seat for you at our table. Father, I pray for all of our not-yetters and family of Godders and mothers and fathers of the faith. Help us to build the kind of table that you would build. Help us to create the kind of hospitality that you would create. Help us to be the kind of people that you created us to be. People, people of a table. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together, amen.